Hello, this is Martha DeGrasse here for Wi-Fi Alliance, and this is The Signal, our podcast where we give you the inside track on Wi-Fi. These are meant to be smart conversations with industry leaders. We want to deliver a new perspective on the growing portfolio of Wi-Fi technologies that we see changing the connectivity landscape. In this episode, we'll be talking about how Broadcom and others are working to gain market access to 6 gigahertz. We'll discuss AFC databases in the band, and we'll talk about the rules for operating here and show how this will boost Wi-Fi performance at standard power. And joining us to discuss all of that and more is Chris Shemansky. He is Director of Product Marketing and Technology Strategy at Broadcom. Chris, welcome to The Signal. Thanks, Martha. It's great to be with you. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. You have an extensive regulatory background before Broadcom and while you were at Broadcom, both in the U.S. and outside the country. So I think you bring a lot of perspective to this. Let's start by hearing from you how Broadcom and other Wi-Fi Alliance companies are working here and abroad to gain access to 6 gigahertz spectrum. Sure. Thanks for the question, Martha. So it's pretty interesting. So it's kind of like a phoenix that kind of rises out of the ashes, a new baby phoenix rises out of the ashes of a phoenix that just died. Industry was informed in 2015 around Christmas time that our long pursuit of the middle part of the five gigahertz band had finally failed. And we weren't going to have an opportunity to access that spectrum. And then very, very rapidly, Governments around the world said that they were no longer going to pursue opening up that spectrum for Wi-Fi. And so industry got together and we realized that there was just this huge need for additional spectrum. And so we began studying all of the mid-band spectrum, trying to understand what would meet the market needs. And we identified the 6 gigahertz band. And so Broadcom, along with our industry partners, actually set up a dedicated group to provide deep technological study of the 6 gigahertz band to see, could Wi-Fi coexist? What are the current users in the band? We began doing technical studies. We began looking at whether or not the services that we thought were in high demand could be provisioned over 6 gigahertz. And what we found is, one, there was already a mobile allocation for the band. So we wouldn't have to go to the ITU and have years and years and years of discussion with other countries. Check number one. Number two, what we found is that the current users were really high-powered users, mainly outdoor, point-to-point, and these users were high above buildings and clutter. Check number two, Wi-Fi is mostly indoor, used at ground level. People walk on the ground or they're in a building. And so what we found is that Wi-Fi was largely going to be compatible with the current users. And so with all of this technical study and research, we began pursuing access in the U.S. and in Europe. And uh, we first reached out to the FCC, I think it was in 2016 timeframe, to talk to then Commissioner Pai. He had not yet been appointed chairman. Uh, it was prior to his ascension to chairman. And Brendan Carr was his legal advisor. And we talked to them about the need. We really need this spectrum. We think this can work. And we began the discussion then. 
And it was really exciting because at that point, we also began to talk to France and Germany. There was a Wi-Fi Alliance member meeting in Madrid. And I remember very clearly having conversations with some of the key regulators at France's ANFR and at Germany's Benetza talking about the spectrum opportunity. And these conversations then ultimately led into proceedings. And the focus was, let's hit U.S. and Europe really hard at first. And we really wanted to focus our regulatory efforts on those two markets because often other countries will follow sort of a U.S. style approach or a European style approach. It doesn't mean that they're not going to engage in their own technical studies, but what it means is there's a lot of similarity in how they process these regulations. And so uh, we worked there, then began working with South Korea, Japan, and Brazil and, and other markets to obtain access. So if you fast forward to today, nearly 60% of the world's GDP has already opened up the 6 gigahertz band. If you put this into the 5 gigahertz context, it's taken years and years and years to get to the point where we have that sort of harmonization. Countries first started to open this up in 2003. And so within the short span of a couple of years, the U.S. made its decision in April 2020, 60% of the world's GDP, nearly, has already opened up the band, and and we estimate that you're going to be approaching three quarters of the world's GDP could have the band open by the end of 2022. Okay, well, that is an excellent overview of the regulatory momentum, and it's being followed by product momentum. Can you give us an update on that? Sure. And so what's really interesting about product momentum is that Wi-Fi 6 was only standardized or certified by the Wi-Fi Alliance in late 2019. Then, all of a sudden, the U.S. opens up the band in April 2020. Wi-Fi 7's not out yet. It's going to be a while. In fact, Wi-Fi 6R2 wasn't out yet, but now we have this awesome spectrum opportunity. Well, in anticipation of a favorable decision, industry started working in IEEE to extend Wi-Fi 6 into the six gigahertz band. So all of the necessary protocols were in place and Wi-Fi Alliance then adopted a certification program for Wi-Fi 6 extended into the six gigahertz band. We call that Wi-Fi 6E. So there was just a huge hunger. As I mentioned earlier, industry had been working collaboratively since 2016 on gaining access to the spectrum. And what's really interesting about 6 gigahertz Wi-Fi is it's so proximate, it's so close to the upper part of the 5 gigahertz band that we could start doing trials, we could start taking a look at the new use cases that could be enabled in the bottom part of the band with just a very, very slight modification to some of the designs. And so from a Broadcom product perspective, we were just taking incoming requests from operators all over the world. Broadcom has a vibrant cable modem business. So we provide fiber interconnects, we provide DOCSIS interconnects, GFAST. And so we have a large operator business and we're providing these interconnects for the operators and they're provisioning this gigabit broadband and they're saying, hey, wait, I want to provision this broadband wirelessly, right? I want to make sure that my customer can actually derive the benefit so it substantiates our investment. So we're seeing this incoming. And in short, the market was just extremely hungry for these wide Wi-Fi channels. So we actually started investing even before the IEEE began working on on this. And uh, Wi-Fi Alliance began the certification in order to meet this market need. And so 
at this point, companies like Broadcom and other companies were already well on their way in terms of product roadmap, and we were able to release product in a very, very short period of time. And Martha, to put this into perspective, normally when a regulator opens a band, they're lucky if you see a product that's two, three, four, five, six years later because everybody sees the opportunity, they start filing all the patents, doing all the research, it takes time to build the market. You had devices that were launched like literally within weeks of the FCC providing the certification requirements. I mean, it was just staggering how quickly products got to market. So obviously very strong demand in the market, despite the the supply shortages that we hear so much about, right? Oh, absolutely, Martha. And thank you for the question. So what's interesting about Wi-Fi 6E or newer technologies in general is those happen at leading edge nodes. So things like 14, 16 and and 7 nanometers. So Wi-Fi 6E is happening at these leading edge nodes where there's still plenty of capacity. And so where you see the shortages for autos or even older Wi-Fi technologies are happening in the 28 or 40 nanometer nodes. And that's where you see the real crunch on supply. And so what we're seeing is really great interest and adoption by operators in the U.S. and in Europe. And and we're seeing something that's very, very similar to the uptick that we saw with Wi-Fi 6. And if you read the news recently, you'd see that Broadcom has already announced that we've shipped over a billion Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E chips. And so this is only in roughly three years. So very, very excited about the momentum and we're not really seeing an impact from the semiconductor supply chain shortage. That's great to hear. So a little earlier, you were talking about FCC certifications being in place, but I think there's still some more FCC rulemaking that needs to happen for the six gigahertz spectrum. Can you update us on that? Yeah, sure. And so this is where it gets a little bit more complex. So I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Access to the six gigahertz band, in order to gain access and to protect incumbents, we had to create different device classes. So in five gigahertz, you have very, very flexible rules. You can operate indoors, you can operate outdoors. In Uni3, I can operate on a portable device basis. It's very, very flexible. In order to gain access to the six gigahertz band, we had to come up with device classes. One device class is low power indoors, and we're protecting incumbent operations by operating at powers much lower than a typical Wi-Fi device, up to 63 times less power than what you can operate in five gigahertz. And the device is constrained to indoors. Well, we knew that wasn't going to meet the market need, but that was sort of table stakes. We needed that in order to invest, and you know, most data traffic occurs indoors. Another device class is standard power. What's made Wi-Fi so successful in 5 gigahertz is the flexibility. You can operate at high powers. You can operate indoors, outdoors. To quote Dr. Seuss, you can operate here, there, and everywhere, right? So... That sort of flexibility was important, and so we developed a standard power device class that would operate at much higher powers, but also could operate indoors and outdoors. And so the FCC already approved in April 2020 those two device classes, okay? They approved low power indoor, and they approved standard power device classes. Now, those standard power devices can only operate under the control of an Automated Frequency Coordination System, or or AFC. And we're going to get more in-depth on AFC later on, I'm sure, because I know that that's all the rage given an open proceeding. 
But AFC, put another way, it's another way for Wi-Fi to be a good neighbor. In 5 gigahertz, we have politeness protocols like listen before talk so you don't talk over someone else or ways to protect weather radars. Well, AFC is a way to protect existing license holders and it allows Wi-Fi to operate outdoors and, and higher power. So the FCC already moved on those and they still have to release the technical rules and authorize an AFC operator, but at least the device class has been approved. And so... The FCC has also initiated a further notice of proposed rulemaking to allow very low power portable devices, which will enable mobile AR, VR, and other important wearable technologies. This is critical. I think over 50 countries have already enabled very low power portable. And Martha, think about it this way. I get a 5G connection to my phone, and let's say I'm, I'm able to get a gigabit per second. Let me ask you a question. Who cares? You know, at a certain point, your processor can only open up or flash an image so fast. So the pixelization on your phone is only so great. But with VLP, I can create an on-body network. When I'm walking by, I can sling something to a TV. I can have mobile AR, VR. What basically I can do is I can give consumers a huge value for the investment they'll have to make in order to help cover the operator's costs of deploying 5G networks. So the FCC is considering VLP. The FCC is also considering increasing the power for low power indoor. They moved forward in a very conservative manner, and I understand there's like thousands of license holders and tens of thousands of fixed links. And so the FCC wanted to make sure that first they did no harm. And so they initiated another proceeding to increase power for wider channels. So finally, the FCC has begun the process of authorizing AFC operators to effectuate the standard power rules that they adopted in April. And so there's going to be this whole process where parties need to be certified and this cloud-based service needs to ensure that it's protecting incumbent operations before the FCC provides that more flexible access to the 6 gigahertz band. Right. I think 14 companies have already applied to be AFC operators. Is that right? Yeah, that is. I mean, it's just amazing. When you think about AFC, think database. And so the type of access that we're talking about is like TV white spaces, unused TV channels when TVs migrated from analog to digital back in the 2000s. It freed up extra spectrum. Some of that spectrum was auctioned to operators to provision better cellular service. Well, there was some blank spaces. There were guard bands in other areas. And so the FCC said, okay, well, we'll let unlicensed devices operate here under a, a database regime. And then more recently, we had this CBRS, Citizens Broadband Radio Service, where there was this opportunity to gain spectrum access for private LTE network and others or, you know, major operators can provision a cellular service. And so these regimes basically are, hey, I'm going to allow you to operate on a certain frequency in a certain location, and you've got a guarantee that you're going to protect the current licensed operations. And so those two instances, uh, CBRS and TV White Spaces, only had a handful of companies apply. Here, we've already had 14 different entities apply to be an NAFC operator, once again, suggesting the overall importance of having AFC or, or standard power. And it's really a diverse ecosystem, too. In CBRS, you had you know, largely 
entities that wanted to provide third-party services or, or SaaS as a service. Here you have device makers like Broadcom provisioning it, or or you have nonprofits and trade associations. The Wi-Fi Alliance. Wi-Fi right? Alliance, that's right, is applied to be an AFC operator for its members. So far more diverse number and styles of, of applicants and entities applying to be a, an AFC uh, an operator. Excellent. You know, these wider spectrum bands and all this hardware acceleration you've been talking about is going to lead to, I think, Wi-Fi use cases that we really haven't seen before, right? Oh, absolutely. So right now, LPI is very highly constrained. When you talk about killer apps for Wi-Fi generations, nothing is more powerful than power. And LPI operates at 63 times less power than 5 gigahertz. Well, AFC is going to bring the pristine 6 gigahertz band, this beautiful unused frequencies, and it's going to allow you to turbocharge that to 5 gigahertz flexibility and power. So picture doorbells and cameras outside whole premises operations, or gosh, even look at the recent Super Bowl in LA and the Rams stadium. There are over 24 access points in that stadium. That's an open air stadium, or a lot of the time it's used open air. So you couldn't have low power indoor operations. Well, with 2,400 access points, I think you can see, Martha, there would be the need for more spectrum. So I'm going to be able to enable these open air stadiums, outdoor Wi-Fi networks, provision rural broadband, all with AFC. And so this additional power and the flexibility is really going to enable a whole host of new use cases. And what's really exciting is this is going to come along right around the same time where you see Wi-Fi 7 products rolling out. And Wi-Fi 7 is going to have some additional hooks in it that makes it work better when it's connected to an AFC. All right, Chris, excellent. Is there anything else that you want to add before we finish here? Yeah, thanks, Martha. Thanks for the opportunity. So there's a couple key points that I'd like to hit on. One, AFC and standard power is so mission critical that Broadcom needed to sort of reimagine how we could bring this to market. Just like we saw this rapid adoption over the last two years of six gigahertz band. Well, now that these countries around the world are opening up the six gigahertz band, how are we going to enable AFC if these countries then allow standard power? So Broadcom in coordination and cooperation with Cisco and Meta created this open source project called Open AFC under the Telecom Infra Project. And this is really exciting because it is a fully open source platform. It's a product. It's not a specification. It's a fully functional automated frequency coordination system that is fully configurable and tons of momentum around this program. We have over 140 engineers affiliated with 45 different entities that are actively collaborating. And this open AFC is actually being used by Broadcom and four other AFC operator applicants in the United States in order to provision AFC services. We see this being used anywhere AFC is offered. So we think Korea will follow quickly, Saudi Arabia, a number of other countries. And this will allow then the Wi-Fi market to quickly deploy in those regions because you don't have to build something from scratch. It's just configurable. It's plug and play. So that's one. So by open, is it open source, open interfaces, or both? It is open source. It is an open source program. Once it's fully released and validated, it will be fully open source. Right now, it is free, and anybody can join the Telecom Infra Project, sign a few documents, and they can download the code from GitHub. 
Nice. Okay. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Please. No, no, no. That's great. And importance. One of the things that I neglected to say is that I would say that AFC or standard power is more important in some markets than others. If you look at this from a radio resource management, the more different the six gigahertz band is from the five gigahertz band in terms of cell coverage or onboarding, the more difficult it is to use. In the US, what you have here is power levels that are great for wide bandwidth traffic, but your cell size, your coverage area is defined in a 20 megahertz channel. And so in five gigahertz, I can operate up to 63 times more power. So I have a much broader coverage than in six gigahertz. So Broadcom sees AFC and standard power as being absolutely mission critical to indoor. So sometimes people think, oh, you just want this outdoor in a stadium. No, we think every access point in the United States is going to ultimately need standard power. And so that's, that's what we would like to see. This will allow client devices to operate at higher power levels the way they were designed to operate. And so the cool thing here is by the time AFC is operational, we're going to have a pretty decent size install base of low power indoor access points. Broadcom sees that install base as being able to be software upgraded so that even though the equipment is designed to operate at a specific power in a wideband, with AFC, we can operate at a higher power and narrower bands, and this would allow a much better range and a much better user experience with a simple software upgrade. All right, Chris Shemansky, Director of Product Marketing and Technology Strategy at Broadcom. Thanks so much for joining us on The Signal. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Signal. You can check the show notes for more resources on Wi-Fi 6E. And for all things Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi Alliance, visit y-fi.org or connect with Wi-Fi Alliance on social. I'm Martha DeGrasse. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you can join us next time on The Signal.